fresh off their Dante's Fiesta with extra peppers. It's Gord Stellick and Brent Gunning. I, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds delicious. Gordo, what, what is Kipper talking about there? Uh, Brent Gunning, Gord Stellick with you here with Leaf Station today. Gordo, what's he talking about? Okay, okay. Hey, guys. Good afternoon, Brent. Good afternoon, Sam. Good afternoon, listeners. Kippy, when you go on vacation, please go on vacation and do not, do not, do not stir the pot. So, okay. Years ago, we're doing the playoffs at Sportsnet way back when, when, when uh, we're up at the 401 in McCowan and whatever. So every night we're ordering food because every night we're in doing playoff action. <laughs> anyway, we ordered from this place called Dante's uh, this one particular night. And Darren Drager, who now is with TSN, was part of our gang. And um, I, I, I happened to pick the Dante's Fiesta. I tried to get information from Darren. He was a smartass giving me feedback that he claimed the uh, person on the other line did about, like, how big it was or whatever. So I did order it. It actually was probably a meal for four people. Okay, so it it came. So, of course, because I am dedicated, um, I did make a great attempt. I certainly ate way more than the average person should. Uh, I think I might have been a little sluggish that night <laughs> on air. I think off air, I may, I may have dozed off during the late games as we watched them in the boardroom a little bit. And much to my chagrin and guys like Jeff McDonald and Kipper and Drager <laughs> and whoever else were there, well, I will never, ever live down my one it, it was delicious by the way i don't even know where dante's is if you if it's still in existence and you get a chance to order the fiesta please order it but please make sure you know it's for a uh it's for a good number of people oh it sounds like that was just the training for the the turkey sandwiches and, and pizza that's uh getting demolished uh when we're when we're back at scotia bank arena now but oh man i uh i know as you said yesterday at least one person on this show enjoys them and yes that's true um Never go on vacation, Nick Kiprios. Even when you're on vacation, real Kipper, I need these, need these, need these intros. Uh, love it so much. Something I don't love, and it's not a surprise. We all saw it coming. Okay, it's official now. It's not reported. It's not believed to be happening. It is official. The NHLers will not be going to the Olympics this year. Gord, I mean, we're all we're all disappointed, but I don't think there's there's a soul out there who's who's surprised by this. I mean, it's been the topic of conversation for weeks, kind of months now. Seemed like a certainty over the past week or so, and I guess I guess the conversation now goes to okay. Where do we go from here in terms of international hockey? Because we we can't just keep going without ever having best on best. Brent, you, you, you have grown up this week before my eyes. I was going to give you 10 minutes to, like, slobber and blubber and whatever about, uh, you know, what what is not happening, okay? I am sad. Spilt but... milk. So I, you, your maturity has really impressed me because to the point, whenever you have adversity in life, it's kind of like if you get terminated from a job, and I'm not being a, a, an idiot about this. I'm just saying it gives you a chance to kind of regroup. It's not what you wanted to do and think about, okay, how can you make a positive out of a negative? And... To the point, the World Cup of Hockey, that's what you control. And you and Sam McKee are too young. A lot of listeners are. Many aren't. That there actually was a great, great business going. It started with the Canada Cup in 1976. Bobby Orr on his last legs in a phenomenal six-country tournament. Borja Salming played on Sweden. 
awesome. Uh, there was a disappointment in 1981. There was that great 87 memory of Mary Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky playing together. There was a disappointment, but good on the United States winning the World Cup. They changed it to the World Cup in 1996 in Montreal. So we had 20 years of whatever number of events that there was a consistency to something uniquely international then. Let's do it, okay? 2004 was absurd. It was done in September. Uh, I used the comparable Brent, not that I've ever been on um, um, on death row, and I hope I never really am. And if I'm in not Canada, yet, I'm anyways, I won't yeah. be. Yeah. So it was like having the Canada Cup was or the World Cup. We knew the collective bargaining agreement expired the day after, and we knew there'd be no hockey that year minimum, and there was no hockey in 2004, 2005. So it's like having the best time of your life playing shinny, and you got a date with the executioner at midnight, right? <laughs> Ain't fun. And that's what, so it, it and plus, what, what the hell was with that trophy? What was, anyway, it doesn't matter. The trophies are secondary. So it, 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 it lacked the jam. 2016 was a good first start. It really was. But you know what? Do it. Like, stop, stop the season do it kind of Olympic comparable, do it every four years. In soccer, there's so many soccer fans out there. What do you get addicted to? The World Cup. The World Cup is bigger than the Olympics. Okay, I'm not saying that'll happen overnight with the National Hockey League or hockey, but let's, let's, let's get it going. Let's get it going. Let, let, let's get our kick-ass tournament going from this. It'll be two consecutive Olympics NHL players aren't in. Maybe they'll never be in it again. I don't know. The Olympic thing, if we keep going, that's great. But, but let's get, because people love Love great international hockey with that kind of bite and the Canada Cup and the one-year World Cup in 1996 and even in 2016 and 2016 as well provided it. Mentioned the um, the the Olympic thing with the with the World Cup of soccer and the and and soccer in the Olympics because soccer is an Olympic sport, but the way they do it in the Olympics for them is it's an under twenty three team I guess a la what would be a World Junior team or something like that you know all the all the best sort of prospects around the world play in it but you're allowed three above 23 aged players on the team i believe it's three or two it's a it's a small number but you're allowed a few veteran guys quote unquote to go play for your soccer team in the olympics so now to me that would be one of the more fascinating dynamics for hockey can you imagine that it would be you know almost the world junior team i guess you would send or maybe guys who are a little bit older than that send them plus you have sid stamkos and Connor McDavid or something. I just add to me, it's a complete aside, but that to me, adopting the soccer model would be something that's extremely fascinating. So put the oh, young guns, so put the young guns in the Olympics, Brent, right? Put the Yeah, yeah basically. The, yeah. Exactly. Can you imagine the uh you know the blood feud that would break out among Canadian greats? Think about all the guys who don't have an Olympic medal. You know, of course Crosby's got his and the whole twenty fourteen team. They're all there. You know, John Tavares is a part of that. But think of all the guys who would be dying to kind of scratch that thing off uh, that one thing, the Olympic medal, kind of off their to-do list. You know, it's part of the triple gold club now. And, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'd love to see a world where we do go to the Olympics still being a tournament that matters and is interesting, but it is not the be-all and end-all. And, you know, like you mentioned, Gord, these these things are cyclical, right? For the longest time, it was the Canada Cup or the World Cup that we thought of is where the best hockey players lived. And then the NHLers went in 98, and Gretzky was sitting on the bench watching a shootout loss. And then pretty much since then, that's been the pinnacle of, of international hockey. Like it's, we, we think of it as this established thing that the Olympics are the be-all and end-all for best-on-best for best hockey. 
Yeah, it's been that case for maybe 20 years, if that, and it's only going back to 2018. So actually, yeah, it's kind of exactly 20 years on the nose that you had the Olympics kind of be in this thing. I know it doesn't feel like it now uh, to, to the point you mentioned, Gord, about, you know, will the World Cup matter? What did 2016 feel like? You have to make it the event. You have to sell it, and you have to make it a true best-on-best best without having a weird Team Europe in there. And then, Gord, the other thing I love about your analogy of it being kind of like your last supper on death row it would be like if they wheeled out this amazing dinner for you but to your point about the trophy it was on some really weird plate and you just couldn't stop (laughs) looking at it going why does it look like that i know it's lobster and shrimp and steak and i don't know caviar whatever whatever else you want to your in your last supper uh Dante's Inferno, uh, or whatever it was that Kipper said you ordered off. Dante's Feast, uh, whatever it is you want. But the whole time, you're just looking at the plate going, but why does it look that way? And why is Mario Lemieux looking at it? So I'm with you guys. I think if we we as a sport collectively decide, yep, World Cup matters. Olympics can be neat. Olympics can be interesting. But the World Cup is what needs to be created. And then, you know, I also go back to the point I made yesterday. I think we were talking to Frank about it. Is this something that allows the players to kind of pay down their debt to the league and allows the cap to go up. I mean, man, I know the cap problems will never, ever go away, but it'd be nice to stop talking about cents on the dollar and just nice kind of round million numbers that, that the cap's going up by. So I I just can't see a world where it doesn't make sense to, to get it going. And yeah, maybe you do it in the middle of the season. Maybe it's the kind of start to the season and you do it in September like they did with the World Cup of Hockey. It just, it feels to me like there's finally enough conversation around this that it's not, oh, an interesting other tournament. It feels to me like there is the momentum now to get this done and make the World Cup really be something that matters, Gord. And the NHL, NHLPA can uh, oversee it. They don't have to worry. Are you going to get quarantined for three or five weeks in a foreign country? It'll always be in North America. Uh, I mean, maybe somewhere down the road they can look at Sweden. I don't care. Or Czech, I don't know, Czech Republic or wherever. But, I mean, that would be it. You control it. You control all that happens. Uh, you don't have to eliminate, I think, quite as many days. And you're not at the behest that, um, boy, you don't have insurance, so you have a summer camp where you play ball hockey. You go all the way to Whistler to play ball hockey. Okay, so... You know, and then the Olympics, whatever, whatever they do that or don't do, that's fine. I'm fine with. You know, I'm, you know, we we had 2002 and 2010. 2014 was kind of boring. They won. I know it was gold. It was great, but 2002 was magical. 2010 was awesome because it was in Canada, and uh, it won't be in time zones that it's three in the morning. And you know, like I said, like let's, you know, let's. Uh, it's it's like tearing the taking the 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 one rip of the bandage off. Now we know it's not going to happen. Uh, it's it's actually worked out that there's not any kind of acrimony there's no resentment by the owners that players chose to go over i don't believe there's any resentment by the players because there's been extenuating circumstances here i'm disappointed Uh, who is it why would you not be disappointed but uh i just think that's the positive you can take out of it because if you remember them vividly from 76 to 96 there were a couple of clunkers from Canada, but that's what it's about. You don't win all the time. But there's some incredible, incredible memories and more to come. And, you know, that 96 series. Okay, these are NHLers against NHLers. Take a look at some of the video. It was bitter. It was physical. It was ugly. Team USA and Team Canada. I'm not talking Soviet Union 1972, the great unknown, the great unwashed, the mister, mysterious communist country. So that just brings it out. Like when, I'm, when I was your guys' ages way back when, 
I knew golf a little bit. I didn't follow it. I love it now to watch. But I knew the Masters. I knew the British Open. I didn't know the Ryder Cup. Then all of a sudden, in an individual sport, the Ryder Cup, a team element to it, has taken on huge, huge legs and is my most favorite event. So, you know, playing for your country is something in this world of money, money, money that gets back to the core roots about something people will do for nothing, something that's got a kind of bite intensity that you can't match. Yeah, and I think you mentioned it well with sort of Gunner talking about how it could kind of help them get some money back and, you know, start making some money, maybe help kind of drive in that cap north so the Toronto Maple Leafs can spend some more money when Austin Matthews is a free agent. But anyways, uh, I digress on that one. But Who cares? I think Who cares? Could... Who cares about the money? I... Stop, 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 stop the money. <laughs> what? Like, like, we're the fans. Who cares? We don't make that money, okay? So whatever. Yeah. Let's enjoy the. But what the, do we want to see? Great international hockey with some bite. Whatever. Whether they're making one thousand or one hundred million. So the thing, the thing that I was going to say is that you have an opportunity to put it in. Maybe have it be in four different cities in North America. So you put a games in Montreal, put games in Toronto, put games in New York, and games in Boston or something where the the fans are the most rabid, where there's the most hockey fans concentrated. And I just feel if you, as long as you don't like you guys have been talking about, do no team Europe, no team North America, and have it be eight nations, uh, the best hockey nations by ranking or whatever. However, you would do that. I think it's a no-brainer seller that it's going to be great. You can pause the season. You can do it before the season. I, I prefer pausing the season because then they're in the flow of the season. They're in the flow of the game. It's not before training camp. Uh, you know, it's and I love the tension that Gordo was talking about. Like I said yesterday, I was watching some of those old clips, and the Americans and Canadians were at each other's throats. I mean, there were some types of guys on both of those teams that would be doing that you know the hatchers and mark messier and there's lots of different guys who would be kind of acting like that out there but yeah i'm, I'm all in on this idea fellas so uh, make it a clean sweep well and the other thing about it if you if you do again if this is something that's kind of owned by the nhl nhlpa its home is in north america you know as much as we all love international hockey you know, it's a different brand than what we watch in the Stanley Cup playoffs, than what we watch in, you know, regular season NHL hockey. And, you know, I, I, I'm looking at a video right now from the 96 World Cup of a Canada-USA brawl. You kept saying bite, and all I could think of was Kachuk because, well, he was the guy who got bit this year, and it was his dad <laughs> who was fighting half a Team Canada in the 96 World Cup. And, you know, I, th- I sometimes think we can focus too much on those elements of the game. Like, you know, my favorite thing to watch in hockey is Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid doing what it is they do. But my second favorite thing is when a game gets nasty and it gets chippy. And it just feels like we almost never get that in international hockey. And if we kind of, I don't know, take it back to North America, for for lack of a better term there, it it feels to me like you can kind of get that little bit of a different feel than you usually have in in international games, Gord. Yeah, you know, and it's funny, Canada-USA has become a great rivalry. And It was bitter in 96 in the hockey sense, but, you know, again, we don't have the Iron Curtain, the great unknown, so we don't have that, and and I'm glad. That's good. That's been progress. So you're not going to get, like, Miracle on Ice in 1980 or or Team Canada 1972 against this horrible Soviet Union that represents everything that is wrong kind of thing, and that's that's positive. But, yeah, you, you got that bite in 96 physically, but then... I look at 87, it's not a physical thing, it's incredible hockey about, you know, Mario and Wayne Gretzky, with a little help of Paul Stewart not calling a hook on the play. Anyway, uh, getting, uh, <laughs> getting that big goal and all the other things that happened, and uh, that one was pretty well all done in Hamilton, Ontario. And, uh, you know, and, and um, the Olympic experience, again, I'm kind of 
pivoting, but that's what we do here. I've listened to Kipper. Kipper, Kipper pivots every 30 seconds, okay? So I'm going to uh, pivot a lot less than him. But if I'm an Olympic athlete, uh, and uh, that's a stretch, but w- what they would have missed this year is the Olympic experience. And it's about not just competing, but I know like Mike Babcock talked about, you know, you, you had breakfast in the village and you had a, like a loser with you or, or a ski jumper there or just, you know, and, and, and your family went, right? Your family went. And, and that's why the World Championships, even though we don't follow it as much because we're following the Stanley Cup playoffs, it ends up being a positive life experience. And then I think for a lot of them, that's as, as big a thing about going to the Olympics uh, as, winning, as, as, as winning a gold medal in the best years. And again, that that's something special, and I'd respect whatever they choose to do or not to do. I mean, you know, you you could maybe every two years do something, and two years is the World Cup, and two years are the Olympics. You can decide that, but yeah, I just th- this is one that you can you can schedule and you can control, and we know it will happen, and and we got a taste of it. Team Europe, like I guess it showed that Germany wasn't on the radar then, because Germany would certainly be that team, you know, that you would you put in whatever the eight countries are. So the gimmick, the gimmickry of Team Europe, first of all, got Ralph Kruger big money because he did a great job coaching it. But man, it made it made the final just oh oh man, it just was like you talk about an anticlimactic final in 2016 after so much great hockey, and we know that won't happen again. They won't. Um, if you want to call it gimmicky, gimmickry, whatever, they won't they won't end up doing that again. No, not a chance. And we think Germany would be in there on merit. We're not just saying that because we want Todd Halushko to have like an assistant to the assistant general manager title <laughs> or, or something like that. For, he should be running team. it. What do you mean? He should be the guy. He sh- absolutely. He should, be, he should be the Bill Belichick of Germany of German. That's hockey. right. For, first time. Hey, first time for everything. I'm sure that's the first time uh, Todd's uh, ever been compared to, uh, to to Belichick there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I would love to see a world where we we see that. You know, we're we're talking about how much the Olympics can mean to guys, and you know. Tons of players who were in that pool and up for discussion this time have experienced that, but somebody who who's never got to, you know, arguably he's had as bad a luck as anyone with Olympic experiences is, is Steven Stamkos. And he spoke yesterday what, what, as the news was kind of eventually becoming official. And let, let's just hear the kind of, because, you know, I'm upset about missing the Olympics, but I'll get over it. I, I don't know that, that Stamkos will. Uh, let, let, let's listen to the Lightning captain. Yeah, it's it's disappointing. Um, like I've mentioned before, uh, anytime you can put on you know your respective country's jersey in a best on best event, there's there's really no feeling like that, you know. Um, so it's difficult. I mean, I look back and you know whether I was going to be on the team or not this year. That that was my you know third legitimate chance of playing in the Olympics and here I am sitting probably not even going to get to to play a game so it's it sucks when you look when you look at it like that um obviously the injury and then last year or last time we didn't go you know had a good chance to make it there this year you know obviously had a, a good start to the year and was in the mix so it's it's disappointing um but at the same time there's not much that, that that we can do. That's that's the way it goes. Sometimes you know you you get lucky and you get a chance throughout the course of your career. And for whatever reason, the Olympic card just just hasn't worked out in in my favor. So it's uh, it sucks. Like I said, you know, you grow up dreaming of winning a Stanley Cup. Um, you know, I've been able to accomplish that. And then uh, you grow up representing your country at at the Olympics and winning a gold medal. And that's something that. Uh, you know, probably won't have a, a chance to do now. 
There is Stamkos, and I think everything he said kind of, one, speaks to his age, right? You know, Steven Stamkos, I believe, I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, he's uh, he's one year, or he's like six months younger than, than I am. I'm the exact same age as him, and when I think of best on best hockey, I remember the World Cups, but I think of the Olympics, and it just kind of speaks to everything we were talking about there, Gord, with you can build this tournament and build it up to be the one that matters because you know those those Canada Cup or World Cup memories like I I wasn't I wasn't around when it was when it was uh Lemieux to Gretzky and Howard Chuck I feel like he always gets stiffed he was he was there on on the play as well but I that memory is burned into my brain the Paul Henderson goal okay I know not a World Cup but kind of a similar type thing that's burned into the history of of what it means to be a Canadian hockey fan and it just feels to me like you make the World Cup a thing it really won't take much time at all before we're right back there to that's the thing that that people think of um yeah we'll see how it goes but I I wouldn't I would uh agree like I just how our perception and being older was of the Canada Cup and 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 regrouping that and and maybe does it make your the instant like hey you know the Ryder Cups every two years does so does it make the insatiable appetite for international hockey even more that you know you you get the Olympics on top of the World Cup it's funny Stamkos I mean unfortunately he was hurt in 2014 2010 Steve Eiserman did not know at that point. Well, he obviously didn't know that he'd be running the Tampa Bay Lightning, whatever it was after those Olympics, because three of his more uh, his tougher cuts were all Lightning players: Steven, Stam- right. Steven Stamkos, Marty St. Louis, and Vinny Lecavalier. Like those were three that were sort of on the on the edge of it. And then, wouldn't you know, uh, whatever period later, not long after, Steve Eiserman ends up running the team from three of his most difficult cuts. Yeah, I mean, uh, man, that was really Stamkos' coming out party, too. You know, he had 46 points in, in his first full NHL season. That's in 08 and 09. And then in 09-10, he, he finishes the year with 51 goals, 95 points. And, and yeah, looking back on it, you know, I don't, I don't want to sit here and say who I'm taking off of, of that Team Canada, but it's, it's hard to see a guy like Stamkos uh, not, not having been a part of it. But it just kind of speaks time and time again uh, to, to the depth that, that we have as a country here. And, hey, we'll, we'll see what it ends up being with – with who's on the roster for the Olympic Games, presuming they they go ahead. Uh, kind of sticking with the Lightning here, Lightning Vegas lone goal or lone game in the in the NHL until after this Christmas break. Now and you know Stamkos ends up scoring the winner in what is a four three Lightning Lightning win. And you know this kind of goes without saying because he's the captain of back to back Stanley Cup champs, but. He's just so entrenched as kind of Mr. Lightning now. You know, you think of how beloved those teams that you mentioned there with LeCavalier or St. Louis or even a guy like Brad Richards. Throw Dave Andrichuk into the mix as a guy who's still in the front office there. But I think when people close their eyes and think about the Tampa Bay Lightning, and for sure when it's the case in five or ten years' time, Stamkos is going to be the first name they think of there. And it's just it's amazing the career he's been able to carve out down in Tampa. Well, I think of Chris Contos. That's who okay. I think of. That's that's the good point. Good point. And by Brian you. Bradley. And um, yes, yeah. No, I, they, it's it's funny. They, you know, like like, okay, to go from uh, worse to being the gold standard uh, again. There's people my age out there like Phil Esposito because of his connections inside the Tampa Bay Lightning and Ottawa Senators. It was just like all, all the hype about Seattle and Vegas and all they had to put together to for, get formal approval and then get and start their uh, organizations on the right foot in big, big ways on and off the ice. That was not the case with the Ottawa Senators and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Just uh, the meetings ended. I think Gil Stein was actually his brief time 
as the uh, president of the NHL, and all of a sudden there's these two expansion franchises, and they really couldn't come up with the 50, yes, 50, not 500, 50 million expansion fee. And <laughs> Phil Esposito, you know, he's the guy, through his uh, connections, got the Tampa Bay Lightning going. And who knows where he got the money, okay? It was, it was there's lots of rumors about where to get it going up and running, and that's why I kind of kid about Chris Contos is a local guy, so it's not a shot because he was one of their early players that had a lot of success. And uh, but they, but they were sad sack team for a while. And to, to your point, they they really righted the ship. And you know, I got to agree with you. Stephen Stamkos probably is is the uh, is the consummate Tampa Bay Lightning, even though ex Leaf Dave Anderchuk hoisted the cup the first time. Crazy to think, just mentioned Anderchuk there, that he had the record for the all-time power play goals until uh, Ovi just broke it or tied it the other day. And it's one of the only records that Gretzky doesn't have when it comes to goal scoring-wise. But yeah, um, Stamkos is on pace now for his sixth 40-goal season, which is hard to believe. Like, he, I know he's kind of like, we've talked about the injuries and whatnot, and just kind of recently in his career, he hasn't been quite as prolific. And you almost not as an afterthought because that's wrong wording but like he just had so many injury issues and he wasn't scoring to the level he was but in his early in his early years you know there was him and Ovi were the two guys that shot it in the net at the most prolific level so 640 goal seasons is nothing to sniff at I know it's on pace he's only got 14 so far this year on pace numbers are always sketchy especially with the way the world is right now in terms of games being played but yeah really had a great career and a surefire hall of famer I think when it's all said and done just too bad that he's not going to get that Olympic experience so there's just if they do go in four years there's no shot that uh there's no shot that he's on the team at 35. I think he's only 31 now, right? It's, I guess we don't need to project that far down the road, but I just I guess he just feels as though this is his last shot. I think I think he gets that. I mean, think about and again, they're you know they're different players. They do different things, but they're they're actually more similar than they are different. Think about all the talks. You know, I'll throw myself into the mix. I thought John Tavares was you know, not a lock at all. I thought he was kind of a lock not to be on Team Canada. And all he he's done is play amazing hockey. But do we think he's still going to be there in, in three years' time? You know, Stamkos is a couple years younger younger than him, but it's just he he's a center that plays for Canada. It feels like if there's anything that is like, you know, who's probably going to be flirting for the team in four years' time? Probably wait, I'll tell you, right? Hold on. Brent, Brent, wait. I'm going to tell you who you're going to say. Um, Michael <laughs> oh, Bunting. Yeah, well, I yeah, mean, I he, won't be, he right? won't be flirting. You can't flirt with the team if you're the captain. You're you're just a relative. <laughs> captain, it bunting. will be bunting. Oh man, you 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 uh, you're tempting me. I have Michael Bunting written as one of my first half season takeaways, and I wanted to spring it on you guys uh, once. But I've been I've been holding my fire because I've been trying to be be a good boy with with regards to my Michael Bunting love. But yeah, I mean, when with a guy like Stamkos, it's just. He, it does feel like I guess it's a possibility. The thing that always jumps out to me, he's the last guy to score 60. Not have a 50-goal season, 60. Like, it's just one of those round numbers you just don't ever see. Him and Ovechkin, the only active guys to to have done it. It's just, it, it's incredible. And again, it, he does almost fly under the radar there in Tampa because of point, because of Kucherov, Vasilevsky, Hedman. Even Cooper gets a ton of pub as the coach of a guy who's on a team way too talented to kind of get the love that, that he normally does. It's just, it's it's a machine they've built down there, and he's kind of at the heart of it. And yeah, I feel... I feel awful for him. And, you know, the other guy I feel awful for in all of this is is Connor McDavid. You know, there's a chance where we're looking at Connor McDavid being 30 years old or 29 years old and having never played for Canada in a best-on-best tournament. 
And that's just, I mean, that's just borderline ridiculous. I know he's had his moments in World Juniors, and I believe he played in the World Championships his draft year. Mm-hmm. But for we got to wait till McDavid's almost 30 to see him in best on best. It just, oh, man, this, this whole thing frustrates me. I did so well. I was being a professional broadcaster. I wasn't just complaining the whole time. <laughs> and now we've talked about Stamkos and McDavid for two minutes, Gordon. I'm all the way back to complaining. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, come on. It is, it is the COVID world, and... Um... <laughs> And I think there's, you know, and and that's what we understand. I think, you, but uh, international, uh, the, uh, so this is, you know, this is one um, I'll throw to, uh, I'll ask the question to both of you because maybe I just like, it's kind of like when you're on vacation and you get attracted to somebody, right? It's the worst thing you could do, right? You're away for a week and then you get back to Toronto and you go out sometime and you go, this isn't really good, you know, because you're away somewhere. You're in the sun and fun and whatever. So my point with McDavid, what I'm going to say is um, that Young Guns team, man, that was a couple of the greatest hockey games I ever saw in 2016 at, at then Air Canada Centre ice. And I still, I still wonder... Okay, I seem to be in the minority. I'll see if you one or both of you back me or not that a young guns team should be like do something different and put a young guns team in the World Cup. Uh, where the, I don't, I'm not sure if it's 23 or under or just under 23. So you had Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, Nathan McKinnon, Morgan Riley. Like, oh my God! Like, you know, just the the win over Sweden. Henrik Lundqvist was in goal for Sweden. That was that was one of the best games I ever saw. So I, I you know, I didn't know if that might be. I, I know it sounds gimmicky, but I think I don't know. I just think that'd be a cool other part to put in in any kind of World Cup of hockey. I do. I do one or both of you agree or not? No, I agree. I think I think I think Team Europe is too gimmicky and I think that just completely kind of nullifies the tournament and takes people away from it. But for some reason, I think a under 23 all-star team feels a little different because you're introducing people to what is supposed to be the next generation of guys. I think also the kind of caveat that goes without saying is that they're going to be entertaining, they're going to be in the mix, but I think it's a long shot that they end up beating Team Canada's best or the United States best. So I think that that kind of gives you the best of both worlds where they're in the mix, but they're probably not going to be playing in the finals. I love the idea of an under-23 team. Uh, Team Europe all-star team, no thank you. But under-23, or I don't don't care, pick a cutoff number, whatever it is. I love, love, love the idea of a a young guns team. McKee? Yeah, that'd be a good idea for a show. A good producer would have thought of that to put together what the Young Guns team would look like these days. I feel like there's a lot of great players that would potentially be on that if you start thinking what guys under 23 look like at this moment. But it would just be from guys from North America or would it be from all over the world? Might as well do Because then the it would be world. a different thing. If yeah, you did it, it all over, over the world, I think... W- Go ahead, yeah, Gorda. Was it over? I think so. So what about Michael Bunting Jr.? How old oh, is he's he? The, he's, he's coach, captain, GM, mascot. He's doing it all. Selling <laughs> so, popcorn, sweeping up, whatever you need. Michael Bunting so, does it all. But I think they called it Team – did they call it Team North America, right? Yeah, so it was I think Team in North that America. Case, it was North American under 23. But, yeah, but, but Sam, to your point then, anyway, it's uh, – so uh, I don't know. And, again, like I'm saying, because – like, I remember I, I, I left because we were doing the games on the fan. I was walking out because it's September, so the weather's great, and there were a few of those young guns there because we had a post-game show, and Seth Jones was one of them. And I remember just saying, like, he doesn't know me, right? And just, But I go, 
guy, like, do you realize what how great a game that was? Like, do you just like? I mean, I just kind of was, and you know, I mean, they nodded, certainly did. But you're so young, I, I don't think you put in the same context as as somebody who is at least double your age. So, uh, um, anyway, I, I, again, right, we're, we're right about Team Europe. That was a that was that was a bad idea. You know, that's like. The, the person that voted to get rid of uh, original Coke and put the new Coke out there and they had to go back to the old Coke at one point. You know, that was the marketing person that did that, I think, that came up with Team Europe. But, yeah, the, I just thought, like, it's something different, right? Like, it's something different than other sports, and it really worked. It really worked. And is it a one-off or every four years would you have that real neat little bite about the new kids on the block, right? You know, that all of a sudden, so you'd have like, you know, back then say it would have been Austin Matthews against, well, against John Tavares and on the same team. And it's kind of cool. It's like, you know, the young guys, okay, we're teammates, but you know what? We're in, this is real. And I know it's international competition, but we're the kids and we're going to show the old guys here, the older guys in their prime that uh, uh, we're ready. Yeah. The one thing I think they'd have to do is give, the national and i don't think this would be an issue for canada but there was some belief of should matthews be on team usa heading in to that tournament i think you have to give them the option to kind of go play for their national team if they can make it but let me just run down the forwards we'll just look at the forwards listen to this group sean couturier jonathan drewen jack eichel johnny goudreau dylan larkin nathan mckinnon austin matthews connor mcdavid jt miller sean monahan ryan nugent hopkins brandon Saad, and Mark Shifley. And again, no Mitch Marner on that team. I'm sure other players uh, are, there's other fan bases that would have players that jump to the front of mind for them. Like, just think about what a loaded, loaded group that was. And I, I, you know, that was a special window because you have McDavid and Matthews. But I think if you do that every four years, you're going to catch a couple players. You know, think about the Stamkos example we use with the Olympics. Not that you'd want an under-23 team in the Olympics. But if there was one, Steven Stamkos would have been on it in that in that 2010 year. And, man, what like how, how special w- would that have been? So, yeah, I, I love the idea of rolling that out. And uh, let, let's talk to somebody who knows a ton about players under-23 and definitely under-20 because the U-20s are upon us. Sam Cosentino, Sammy Cos, uh, Sports Day. Uh, Sammy, how's it going? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, well, well, we we thank you for coming on because, you know, Santa's a pretty busy guy this time of year, but another guy whose name starts with S. Uh, this is also your your busy season. So, man, uh, we are we are very, very happy to, to have you with us. Uh, World World Juniors are right around the corner. Anytime you have just, I believe, the seventh 16-year-old to be playing for Canada, that's going to be a topic of conversation. I, I got to see a little bit of Bedard at the U18s uh, last year. He, he was breathtaking there. Obviously, we all know what he did in the double last year in that shortened season for Regina I guess the thing to ask about a player like Bedard is what are fair expectations to have because we all know the sky's the limit with him in terms of skill but he's also a 16 year old playing in a U20 tournament like what's fair to expect out of out of him well by all accounts he's going to start as the anywhere from the 13th to the 15th forward so if he's the 13th guy is in the lineup 14 or 15 you know he'll be he'll be sitting in the stands but that's right now what we're going to see and uh, I think when it comes to the the age, you're probably looking at a guy who was a lot closer to his age uh, age group at the 18s, and that's why he was so successful. I also look at that under-18 team coached by Dave Barr, and they were so good that they allowed Connor to kind of work his way into the tournament, make a couple of stakes. They were uh, extremely patient with him and not allowed him really to get his footing for when the games counted most, which is when he produced most of his points 
10 of 14 in the, you know, on the playoff and medal rounds. So he's not going to be given that kind of leash in this tournament because the teams are a lot closer together in terms of competition. Uh, and you are playing against older competition. Having said that, though, I do think he'll see some time early in the tournament on the power play. Hopefully he'll be able to use that time to buy himself a little bit of currency uh, to get into the lineup of you know, one of the top four lines and play more regularly. But it's a feat in and of itself, his age making the team uh, as he has. Okay, Sam, one thing I promised Brent was I would not stay on topic, okay? So I will get back about the importance of World <laughs> Juniors, but we're just talking about World Cup memories 2016. Yeah. So uh, we had Todd Halusko on yesterday, and we were there. Now, were you doing color with Dan Dunleavy? What exactly was your role? Because you were there all the time. Was that what you were doing? Yeah, yeah. I was doing the color. And I got to tell you, Gord, that was, like, that was awesome. If they bring the cup back, I hope we can reunite the four of us because uh, – that was one of my most fun times at work. Like I have fun all the time at work, but I got to tell you, those those ten days or whatever it was were an absolute blast. So let's let's get the band back together. So every night we'd be down at at Air Canada Centre, of course now Scotiabank <laughs> Arena. So here, so Brent, here's the scoop. Like we get now, uh, that was the first time the emergence of the twenty five dollar food vouchers. Okay, Which, li- listeners out there would say, "Are you kidding me? You you floaters, you you moochers in media, you also got a twenty five dollar food voucher." So the point being, as we know now, that we started going around and you'd find get something and then um it was 25 dollars or less right if you only spent 19 bucks didn't matter so, so you left six dollars on the table so you'd go okay maybe i'll take the nine dollar snickers and i'll pay two dollars and absorb seven dollars and whatever and, 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 and we were talking like we were dealing high currency right sam like i mean we were we were the national treasury and then sam one time comes up with whatever his stuff with and he goes bing bing 25 bucks on the spot, like the Price is Right winner of the century. You were the only guy that figured out the magic formula of whatever it was to get $25 even. And I'm always in awe of you for that, Sam, above anything else. You, you know, Gord, that 25 bucks that was great. And the only reason I did it and got it onto the number because I wanted to be full for the 150 bucks I was going to spend drinking afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but you just showed up as funny with your stuff just before the game. So anyway, anyway, great, great memories about that. I think, you know, the other upside, you know, as well, it's it's like a positive out of a negative. Like we had last year because there was no NHL hockey, the World Juniors had this uh, incredible heightened awareness and, you know, the Zegras of the world and others that, you know, we really got to know and embrace and, and get a heads up upon. And I know NHL hockey will be going when we come back, but now with no Olympics, all of a sudden again, like a showcase becomes even a bigger showcase. Yeah. And, and it's good to see because, you know, it doesn't take long for these guys to make their mark in the national hockey league. Zegras being a really good, example of that so when you're talking about the Caden Gooley's or the Jake Sanderson's or the Oscar Olison's uh, you're talking about a number of guys that you could see in the National Hockey League as early as next year and really when you think about uh, William Eklund and I think about Mason McTavish, Jake Neighbors, uh, Cole Perfetti uh, as guys that have already played games in the National Hockey League so the gap isn't really that far uh, between this event and, and guys playing in the NHL. So that's a, that's a really cool thing. And I'm glad that the spotlight returns to these young guys because we all think about, you know, as families and people that are, that are working and trying to get through this whole pandemic thing, how difficult it must be with the pressure already placed on these, these junior players 
to stop and start and to miss out on time and developmental time in their draft year and their progression towards realizing their dreams when it's through no fault of the, their own that they've you know had to go through this developmental stage in, in fits and spurts. So I'm glad that the uh, uh, spotlight is going to be turned towards them, that they're going to get an opportunity to really do their thing in front of a, of a large audience. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a big part of it and a little bit of the reward for having gone through what they've gone through to this point with the last two years of the pandemic. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting, right? Because, you know, obviously scouts and guys like you, it's been a, you know, it's never an easy job uh, trying to figure out what a uh, 17, 16, 18-year-old is going to be when they're 25, 26, 27. But throw in the fact that you just have all the stops and starts and leagues playing completely different number of games and players in and out of protocols and everything like that. Like, what's it been like, you know, again, it's been tough for all of us in the world, but what's it been like in your world to kind of try to evaluate players and, and see where they're at over the last couple of years i like to be at the rink as much as possible and and my old job calling chl games allowed for that to happen with the addition of being able to get to practices or seeing additional games while on those road trips so in this new world where i actually have a job now in the middle of the week when i'm going in with with carolyn and david amber and working in hockey central it hasn't allowed me the opportunity to get out and see as much and then of course there's you know, there's some hoops you got to jump through to be able to get into the rink in the first place. I've seen a fair number of games. I've watched some on video. I've watched players individually on video. It's not a great way to go about doing your business, um, but these are kind of the sign of the time. So, you know, my hope is to get into Edmonton uh, on January 1st for the medal round, see as much live hockey as I possibly can. There are a couple of events that are scheduled. The, the BioSteel All-American game in, in Plymouth, Michigan, coming up in the middle of January. And then the CHL prospects game in in, uh, in Kitchener at the beginning of February. So, you know, if I can get out to see those events, that's going to go a long way to what I hope is going to be a second half that I'm going to be able to spend some more time in the rink seeing players live. But watching it on video, it sucks. And and honestly, guys, like a big part of the a big part of of what I do is the network of people that I've you know come to to know and grow over the years. And you're able to maintain. Um, and establish different parts of that network by being at the rink and talking to guys between periods or before games in the, you know, in the media room uh, and that sort of thing. So that opportunity hasn't presented itself nearly as much for me as I would have liked, but hoping to get back to that a little bit more in the second half. Okay, so Sam, we're as you well know, the sh- this show is in Toronto. Uh, it's easy when you have a Mitch Marner there. It was wonderful thinking Justin Pogge was going to be the longtime goaltender of the future for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So the Toronto angle, because we hear this mysterious names. Now, Miko Lettinen was not a junior. He came over a mature guy, but he was the Bobby Orr of Finland who played like the Colton Orr of Finland, okay? Uh, when he came over. So I'm, I'm just saying, like, 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 give me this. Give Toronto Maple Leaf fans, okay, maybe they're not, like, the next coming of Austin Matthews at this point, but who do they have to keep their eyes on in this tournament? Well, Topi Niemela is a, is a defenseman who plays in Liga right now. And last I checked, I think he was 10th in the league in scoring. And I think he was the top scoring defenseman. And to do that at his age, at just 20, 20 years old, is really, really amazing stuff. Uh, and oftentimes what happens in that league, uh, it usually translates. And I think about Patrick Wine, I think about uh, Miko Ranton and Alexander Barkov, guys that played and put up good numbers in the Finnish league, typically it translates to some success at the NHL level. So you got to be really excited about him. Another pin is Rony Hirvonen. He, he's a guy that's, that's played well in Finland so far. Uh, so you're looking... It, it's funny because 
you, you look at the what the Toronto Maple Leafs have drafted, you're seeing a lot of Russians, a lot of Finns, a lot of Americans, and now moving to the American side. Matthew Nyes is a guy who I think has really taken the world by storm with his size, with his speed, ability to play physically, but still able to produce as well. So those would be three key guys, if I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, that I'm really keeping my eye on. The two Finns and, and the one American, uh, and I think you know, you're looking at the, the future of what the franchise has to offer as they move towards what's going to be some salary cap trouble here in the not-too-distant uh, future. Oh, it's it's their home. It's uh, they, the salary cap troubles have set up shop. Uh, they got their feet up on the ottoman. They're hanging out and they're not uh, not going anywhere here here in Toronto. You know, it seems like every year for for Canada, you know, not to not to make it about one guy, but it feels like there's usually somebody who just kind of becomes a story. You know, I think back to Thomas Shabbat during his year. He was incredible. You know, Drysdale, Makar. They've they've kind of felt like those guys in in recent years past. Who is the you know if there's going to be one player for Canada that just kind of jumps out and he's the guy we're all kind of talking about is it Owen Power maybe it's Shane Wright who who do you think would you expect to kind of have the the biggest kind of breakout for for lack of a better term in this tournament for Canada well I, I think there are a number of candidates for that spot so I mean Owen Power would have to be one based on the success he's already had winning the gold medal at the men's senior worlds but let's put him aside I think people would expect that he's the first overall pick he's already got a gold medal under his belt let's look at someone else I, I think Cole Perfetti is that guy for me I think we, we've come to know him a little bit. He slid in his draft year to go 10th overall to Winnipeg. He's gotten into two NHL games already. He's having a really good year with the Manitoba Moose in the American Hockey League, uh, but a real good character guy. And I think you're going to see him play on the wall and on the first power play unit. Um, he's probably going to play on, on Canada's top line with Shane Wright in the middle of the ice. So I think there's going to be a, a lots of opportunity for him to produce points there. Uh, so he'd be a guy. And I guess, I'd have to say Shane Wright would be the next in line for that based on him being a captain and, and not playing anywhere near 100% at the under-18s, still able to put up 14 points there to tie for the team lead and captain his team to a gold medal despite missing two games. So I, I would probably pick either one of those two guys as, as someone we're going to walk away from and say, wow, that's a really, really good player. It's always great for these kind of tournaments. Uh, as much as you cheer for Canada, I did – uh, like seeing Finland a few years ago when Kasperi Kapanen scored in overtime and it was in Finland and Timo Solani and all the, that gang that was overseeing it, you know, win the gold medal. So outside of Canada, USA, uh, if someone's going to win the gold from another country, who do you like? Well, I, you know, this tournament is, is kind of in that cycle right now. Either the U.S. defense or the Canadians have won the last nine and it's kind of been in that rotation. So, you know, those those three teams as you talked about are going to be the favorites to do it here again but i really like the swedes uh you know yes for that's a first round goalie they, they're pretty good in the back end simon edmondson i think someone that we're going to look at this tournament and say is a is a real stud the high level defenseman the detroit pick and they have some firepower up front and a couple of underrated guys the russians always seem to find a way to to be in the mix of this tournament uh, askarov the goaltender is playing in his third world juniors the first two have just been okay He's about set to break out and has tournament-stealing potential. Um, and then after that, it, there's there's a bit of a drop-off. I think the one team that I'll be keeping my eye on, though, is the Slovaks. Uh, I think Slovakia has got, you know, they got three guys that are probably first-round picks. they got a guy by the name of Dalibor Dvorsky, who's a 2023 draft-eligible guy who's going to be in the conversation with Connor Bedard and, and Matt Vemishkov for the first overall pick. 
But their crop this year of draft eligibles this year is super high end. They've got a returning goal. It wouldn't surprise me if they pulled an upset in the quarters over somebody. Uh, but typically, we're still looking at the same five teams that we're always looking at for this event, beginning with Canada and the U.S. Well, and obviously, with a with a player like Wright, who who we all expect to go first overall this year, or or Bedard and Mitchkov, like like you mentioned there, you know, playing within a team of other you know really talented players, and like you said, there's a lot to like about the Slovak team, but you know, and I, I don't know that this is a fair comparison, but I kind of think back to Nico Hischer playing on that that Swiss team, and it was it was very apparent just watching a guy kind of stand out, and it, it is kind of fun to see these really really bright lights on you know what is a strong hockey country in, in Slovakia, but it just doesn't quite have the the high end that I'd imagine a guy who's in the conversation for the first pick in a couple of years. Yeah, I, I imagine he just kind of sticks out a bit like a sore thumb on a team like that. Oh yeah, no, no, he he, he will. But again, like they have three guys that I think will go in this year's first round. So you know, you're talking about 2022, 2023, and kind of stringing those years together where where Slovakia is in a really good cycle. And I'm not sure if it's been something developmental wise that's changed there or they just happen to be a couple of good birth years. You know, you, you see it uh, a lot in North America where, you know, we're looking at the 04 draft, the 04 borns this year for the 2022 draft, and it's a good year. But my goodness, the 05s, I'm really excited about Cal Ritchie and Riley Height and Braden Jagger and, and these types of players here from Canada moving forward, Connor Bedard. So you tend to get that cyclical nature not just in junior hockey but you get it in terms of birth years of what happens around the world in what are really high birth years for some countries may not be as good for the others Slovakia seems to be in that good cycle right now with the 04 and the 05 borns one curiosity question and boy you're talking about the borns for 04 05 that memorable year because there was no NHL yeah. hockey and that phenomenal team but you know Mark Mathot's a real good media guy he was on that strong London Knights team he you know laments not being able to play in the world juniors but he understands how stacked they were but his teammate Danny Savret did and I'm just curious Mathot had a decent NHL career Danny Savret had over 20 goals with London looked like the real deal and you know guys don't always get great NHL careers from that uh, you know any idea why the one guy did and the other guy didn't so much yeah, it's, it's weird how that works out. And it's funny because if you go back to, and you look at that same team with Corey Perry, at the start of his London career, he wasn't really a highly thought of guy at all. And he just progressed and, you know, played gritty. And, you know, he, he made his way and made his mark into the first round. You're like, all right, he's pretty good. And then, you know, wins a cup with Anaheim. And all of a sudden we're talking about a guy who's going to play a thousand games and, you know, probably get his number up in, in a rafter somewhere. So, Sometimes it just works out for certain guys, and other times it doesn't. But when I look at Savret, I, I saw a really good junior player. And sometimes this happens, Gord. You've seen it before. You, you see a really good junior player who excels at that level, who plays in all the events possible in the program of excellence for Hockey Canada, but can't make that next step. And uh, for whatever reason, whether it's speed, whether it's a mental thing, whether it's where you are in your life cycle, depending on – you know, incidents that may have happened in your life. But for Danny, I look at him as a guy who probably was just a cut under the speed and a cut under the size to be able to play as a defenseman at that time effectively as an, as an NHL player, whereas for Corey Perry, it was kind of the, kind of the opposite for him. And he's just a, a guy who, who, you know, willed himself into, into getting it done. But uh, oh, I don't know, man. pretty interesting. I see Corey Savrette, the brother. I think he's reffing in the NHL right now, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. that's correct, yeah. Yeah. So oh, that sometimes that's a neat path to take for these guys, too. 
some of the names on that team, like I'm just looking at it now, you got Dave Bolin, Brandon Pruss, like yeah. it's just Dan Girardi. I mean, just man, uh, go, go up and down Rob Shremp, uh, you know, not, not, uh, not the career he would have loved in the NHL, but uh, he was as good as any, uh, when those guys were going, uh, Sammy, tons of fun. Thanks so much for coming on. I know it'll be a busy couple of weeks for you, but uh, try to enjoy it. All right, guys, keep politicking for that world cup uh, and Gord getting the band back together. <laughs> and I, I am going to tack on. You guys sound like a lot of fun. I would also like to play prices. You'll right be on the band. You'll be on the band. You'll be playing kicker. tambourine. Okay. Hey, I'll play whatever <laughs> you want. Guys. Give me give me the triangle, something. All right, there he goes, uh, Sam Cosentino. Uh, you'll be seeing and hearing tons of him over the next couple of weeks. Gorge, you mentioned uh, the Finnish team with Kapanen and some of the fun winners we've got. You know, I didn't enjoy this win when it happened. But the best story of World Junior wins recently was the Russian team that got booted off a flight and was unable to fly out of, I think, Buffalo. And this was in, I think, 2011. If if we're going to talk about uh, great World Junior memories that aren't Canadian ones, uh, that Russian team is the first one that that jumps out to me. Well, they were already flying when they landed before they took off, right? That's why they didn't get to board. But that was a a devastating loss for Canada. But then you look at the talent with Tarasenko and company on that Russian team. Holy mackerel. Yeah, a uh, very, uh, very talented bunch. Oh man, I could, uh, I could do World Junior memories all day. I, I wonder if we still have a producer, Sam McKee. You know, I know he loves us, but one thing he loathes is the London Knights. So I wonder if he's even still listening to the show today. McKee, are, yeah. are you still with us? Have you just abandoned us after that no. London Knights love in there? No, I get it. I get it. Listen, I, there's not a lot of people that have the despise the London Knights like me. It's, I mean, it's probably. 30-something thousand that live in Owen Sound all the feel, feel the same way I do about it. But, yeah, that's that was a great conversation with Sammy. I, I can't wait for the Connor Bedard aspect of this. I, I really can't. I know you guys are talking about it, but there's only been seven guys that have done this. It always is exciting. I remember when Connor did it. I remember Sid wearing number nine, wearing the, wearing the, the bubble on his face, the fishbowl. I just think it's so exciting having, having the exceptional status sort of young kid on the team that's going to be the next maybe super stud for Canada. It's a very exciting sort of, you know, Canadian thing for me. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think what it is for me is that I'm preparing myself to get annoyed when they're not you I'm back. I don't even know if I'm on the air. Fun I'm, times I'm happening I'm right back now. Too. We, had a, we had kind of a bug. I think, I think, I think uh, Sam was uh, spiteful about the London talk and kept pushing the buzzer that buzzed us out, you know, like we're saying an expletive. <laughs> I think, I think London, London exactly is not an expletive. Happened. No, it's not. It's not. You did not have to dump us. Uh, you know what? You know who we would never dump? is the next guest on our show today. You know, we're doing the we're doing Leafs Nation, the the reunion tour. Todd Halushko joined us yesterday and today. The inventor of at least the name Triples Tennis. Mark Savard joins us next, uh, head coach of the Spitfires. He'll be up next on Leafs Nation here on Sportsnet 590 the Fan.